how about this? Tell Sarah all of the things that you wish you could say to me, but I always interrupt. Civics, <laughs> <laughs> y'all. A political conversation for all of us. Hey, Jody. So what are your thoughts about the post office? Like, what's your association? Well, let's see. The first thing that comes to mind is a good job. When I was growing up, everybody thought working for the post office was a really good job. Let's see. What else? They deliver mail. (laughs) I I wonder about the necessity of the post office. And I know the pro-postal people are... um, adamant that we need the post office, especially in rural areas where um, private delivery services will not go. And for that, you know, I'm probably in agreement, but I'm wondering, do we need the post office for more urban areas where our mail could probably be handled privately? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there was maybe a period of time where I thought about that, you know, or a thought like that. Because, you know, like I would go to the post office and I would wait in line and like the person at the counter would be really rude. And I'd be like, oh, my God, why? Why do we still have this antiquated system? You know, it didn't seem to be very effective. Um, And I think the reason why I felt that way was because the post office is like a public good, like the library. You know, it's in the Constitution, like you reminded me. You know, it's something we all have the rights to is the post office. But it has been sort of tasked with running like an efficient business for like the last couple of decades. And it does not work as a, as a business in, our, in a capitalist society. It's, it's not functional as a business. So we, we then just resent the tax money that's required to keep it afloat. But it's weird because like the library, for instance, is funded by tax money the same way that the post office is, except it's funded exclusively, almost exclusively by tax money. Like a lot of libraries don't even have fees anymore or fines for being late, right? Like we, you don't have any other services to make money off of at the library. So I think for a lot of people, it's maybe weird that they have to pay for the services if the thing is a public good. I think a lot of people are recognizing maybe the need of a federal postal service because how else will people who can't vote in person vote? How will we guarantee people's rights to vote if not for the post office? Well, I mean, that could also be handled privately. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, but the only mail I get from the post office, is, it's a bunch of ads. So if, if they wanted to send mail-in ballots via, you know, UPS or FedEx, I think it'd be fine. Except, again, in those places where FedEx and UPS and whatever don't go. Are you going to, like, trust a corporate entity to deliver our ballots? Well, I don't trust corporations, period. Right. (laughs) I don't have a lot of trust for them uh, in general. I don't feel as if they are intentionally conspiratorial, if that makes sense. Really? Um, yeah. I think they're driven by profit. I, I think their intentions are to generate more profit. Like, how can we get more profit? If we slash this thing, then it'll increase our revenues by 15 cent per item. You know, like that type of thing, which then tends to have a negative trickle-down effect onto the customer. I don't feel they're like, um, if we get 
such and such person elected, then, well, let me not say that because they pay lobbyists who that is the lobbyist job. (laughs) So (laughs) let me rethink this. I think the answer is to make the post office fully a public service and to take out the capitalist element of it. We can just drop off certain things for free um, because we paid taxes towards the post office. Like, let's just take out the capitalist portion of it, of the post office and keep it as an entity. And then, you know, if we want to pay for something to get somewhere faster or, you know, if we want to send something that's not in that protected element of, of free mail that we can send, then we can use a private company. Well, good luck trying to convince people to raise taxes to support the post office. So you and I talk, um, but the listeners haven't heard from you in a while, um, but they're going to hear from you in this episode. Yeah. So I want to just be totally transparent with the listeners. Um, So right not long after we sort of had this great idea to do a podcast, I started not feeling great and got tested and was positive for COVID. I uh, found out on my 40th birthday, not the best birthday gift, but um, my work was great. They let me take the time I needed and I went through auctioner and they were amazing. And the contact tracers for Louisiana were the kindest people. And they even were like, okay, do you need resources? Do you need resources for food or transportation or child, like diapers and such? Do you have children? And I almost cried. And Jim and I are lucky enough that we we, we didn't need those things. I was like, no, just give those to other people who might need them. So they called at the right times. Auctioner, they would send text messages. The contact tracers would send text messages. I had a, I hate to say mild case, but I was fortunate that I did not have to go to the hospital, that I could treat at home. But this was August 6th was the day that I got my my diagnosis. And I'm still very tired and I still have kind of brain fog. And so the reason that I kind of pulled back was because I just felt awful. And so... I'm uh, feeling some better, and yeah, I'm I'm glad that I'm able to contribute where I can, or you know, be a voice still a little bit here and there. Yeah, we've missed you on the show. Um, me and Jody, it was funny. We just did our um, sort of two part debate slash fight um, that ended <laughs> up being, <laughs> that ended up being about partisanship. But I said something along the lines of like, I think that we're essentially functioning like the two party system, like me and Jody. <laughs> you know, we need like actual viable third options, third party options to sort of break up this sort of partisanship that maybe is just human nature. Like if it's just two people, it's like it becomes this binary. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm glad that, that I'm able to um to do this and Oh yeah, well let's tell them what this is. You, so you have this writing style that I've always thought was really cool. Oh. Were you do you call it like officially like letters to people who are unlikely to answer? <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, back at LSU, one of the instructors gave us an assignment to write unsent letters. And one of my close friends, you're one of your good acquaintances, um, actually did her thesis performance around unsent letters. So it's kind of one of those things that she and I just like love that. And I had 
sort of really sad thing happened in my life in 2017, lost a family member, wasn't expecting, and started writing him unsent letters. And then I was talking to Wendy, who's my other person that's like my writing cheerleader other than you, that she's always like, oh, well, she goes, why don't you try to write like five unsent letters, but actually send them to people. So over the course of 2018, I wrote different letters and sent them to different people. And sometimes have gotten responses and sometimes have not. But I just like writing open letters. Um, it might be to a person that I know. It might be to someone that they're talents. They might be writers. They might be performers. They might be directors. A lot of my memories are associated with anecdotal remembrance and letter writing are like my wheelhouse in storytelling. So you wrote one for Brent Spiner and he like actually responded on Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. That was, that was really nice. Like I had written it and I had put the letter up on a WordPress or something. I don't even remember and kind of tweeted the link at him and he read it and responded, which was very sweet. And it was very nice. And that and the the dollop thing and them using my research was were kind of the highlights of this year so far. <laughs> so knowing that you write these letters, um, you started telling me some some memories that were associated with the post office. And I sort of commissioned you to write like an open letter um, about your post office memories for this for this episode. And so that's what you end up. Uh, that's what you're going to be reading to us, right? Yes. And um just enjoy, I hope. Thanks for letting me do it. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. All right. An open letter to the Postmaster General of the United States of America. Dear Sir, I'm a decent hand at writing official letters, but I'm not sure now if tried and true anything is working. So I'm sending a memory instead. There's this segment on an episode of Sesame Street. A young girl sits on the stoop of her brownstone apartment. She's writing a letter to her grandfather about the visit that she's planning. She's excited about going to the country where he lives because the city is so very hot during the summer. She mentions swimming and asks him about his garden. She tells him that she will see him soon. We see the letter signed, addressed, and sealed. We see it dropped into the corner mailbox. And then we follow the letter as it makes its way to the Metropolitan Sorting Center with its very fancy equipment and into the truck. We follow this letter all the way to the small country post office where the local employees sort everything by hand. The mail carrier stops and chats with the grandfather who takes his mail, sits outside of his quiet country home, and reads his granddaughter's letter, and he smiles. I could have sworn the mail carrier in this story was on horseback, but further digging yielded another Sesame Street story about a postman in Appalachia. Thank you, digital archivists. I originally watched both of these stories sitting on the beige-carpeted living room floors of my own childhood. These program segments showed me two very important things that there was a great big world outside of our little house and community, and that everyone used the post office. Running errands with my parents always meant going to pick up the mail. In the mid-1980s, our small town in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, wasn't all suburban sprawl, and we had a busy front street. An Ace Hardware sat next to the pharmacy, which was next to the post office. The postmaster, Mr. Jimmy, played the piano at our church. 
He was a friendly, silly gentleman with a shock of pewter-colored hair. He used to peek through our post office box to make faces at me. Picking up the mail was exciting. Sometimes I got cards from my Aunt Vicky. Notes with squirrels and bunnies and the like were standard fare. The letters from my grandmother to my mom were a weekly occurrence, four to six pages, front and back, detailing the weather, my grandparents' health, what she was crocheting, and what was growing in my own grandfather's garden. Long-distance calls were expensive. Stamps were not. Mom would read those letters to me sometimes, and that was nice, but they also usually included a dollar or two for me often in the form of quarters taped to the back of a recipe card. I suppose I should have saved them for fancier things, but they were typically spent on glitter bracelets or sun-kissed sodas at the aforementioned nearby pharmacy. Mail became part of the decorations during winter holidays. My grand would tack up all of her Christmas cards around one particular doorway. If a brisk draft came through the open front door, a shower of glitter would fall from these festive missives it was kind of a holiday magic, just like my great-aunt Gertrude's homemade candy. The older I got, the more I loved sending mail, too. My cousin Stephanie and I would record cassette tapes of silly rambling news, songs, general nonsense and such, and mail them back and forth. I sent handwritten notes to my other cousin, Mark, and thank you notes to his mom, my previously mentioned precious Aunt Vicky. I wrote my first fan letter to Sam Neal and received a very kind response from the person who ran his fan club. Side note, Sam Neal and I have had a few brief exchanges on Twitter, so 12-year-old Noelle would be losing her mind. Well, if she knew what Twitter was. I still write letters to artists and authors that I admire, without necessarily banking on a response, though sometimes, well, the strange things happen. Six years ago, I wrote a note to one of my husband's favorite BBC presenters, historian Melvin Bragg, along with a copy of one of his books. I mentioned how much Jim loved his program and our time, and asked would he sign the included book as part of a birthday gift. Well, not four weeks later comes a first-class royal mail package. There was the book, duly signed for my husband, and also a note from me on parliamentary stationery. Apparently Melvin is Lord Bragg. Who knew? which is why I never underestimate the power of the polite note. My friend Wendy has been a regular correspondent of mine for decades. We love finding the perfect cards to send to each other, but that's even better now because she sells stationery. My Aunt Vicky always sent just because mail, or she did. She passed away last year. I miss those notes. I miss my grandmother's notes, too, and the quarters on the cardstock. I miss her sister Gertrude's homemade fudge, but mostly I miss them. We share things so quickly now with text messages and social media. Even email seems weird if it's not work-related. And listen, I know the sort of privilege I have waxing poetic with pleasant remembrances and not having to wait on essential medicines and payments delivered through mail service like so many people do. But cards and letters invitations and thank-you notes, presents for and surprises from loved ones. We need this so badly right now in these, as the advertisements all tell us, uncertain times. The good and important stuff is usually what's in the mailbox. It's waiting in the mailbox. 
that which is worth the wait is probably in the mailbox. Sincerely, Noel Smith. P.S. Please do not mistake my patience with waiting for said good and important stuff with acceptance of intentional slowdowns. That Sesame Street bit was filmed in 1984, and we could see how their sorting machinery was efficient then. You aren't fooling anyone. So, hey, Noelle. Yes? Do you remember that video that I sent you? It was um, a burlesque dancer named Trixie Minx, and she was talking about the post office, but she was wearing, like, the sexy Paul Revere costume. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So she's really awesome, and I love that video. And pretty much the minute that I saw it for, like, well, maybe the fifth time because I watched it, like, a whole bunch, and it made (laughs) me laugh every time, I DM'd her on Facebook. And um, she was, like, totally game to come on the show. And so I interviewed her. And so we're definitely going to have to, like, include some of the funny stuff that she said in other episodes because she's really smart. She's really just, like, all around, like, a really creative person. And um, I'm glad you're going to get to hear, you know, her talk about what she's up to. Awesome. I love that you just, like, asked and she said yes. And that's – you've got to do that. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Okay. Here's the first of the two questions that I ask everyone. The first one is, is did you learn civics in school? Or was it called civics? What grade were you in? I did learn civics in school, I believe. I want to say it was in seventh or eighth grade. It was definitely middle school. And then in high school, that's where we sort of got into world history, U.S. history, that type of stuff. But it's funny with the current climate, I am realizing that that was years ago and so much has, well, certain things are still the same, so much has changed. So it's been sort of interesting to relearn what's actually going on in government. Yeah, absolutely. That's been my experience too. Do you think that it prepared you to be a citizen when you studied it in school? No. (laughs) I can say that with 100% accuracy. No. I um, I was very fortunate to go to a public arts middle school and high school, and I feel like they did a great job teaching us what they had available, but I also think sort of the education program in the United States as a whole is just sort of focused more on standardized testing and finances rather than on education and understanding. So um, personally, I have a lot of people in my life that are school teachers or work within the public school system. So I feel very confident being able to speak on that behalf just because I talk to them and I see what they're going through. But when you have schools that don't teach students, you end up having adults that aren't educated on the topics or even on how to, and I don't believe this is a fault of the teachers. I just think it's a general, you know, systemic problem as a whole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where did you go to school? Did you grow up in New Orleans? No, I grew up in Miami, Florida. This is, uh, my parents are from upstate New York, so they never wanted to shovel snow ever again, ended up in Miami. And I came to visit New Orleans with a friend for Jazz Fest in 2001, and I just never left. It, it was probably the most random, completely out of character for me. I'm very OCD, very thoughtful in my actions and choices, and just New Orleans has some sort of magic in her that maybe just be like, this is where I want to be. 
do you feel like you also had like any sort of political education at home? Like did your parents talk about politics or political engagement? Yes, actually I have a weekly Zoom call with my parents and we were talking about that today. My parents were um, of the hippie generation, very like flower power. However, from gr growing up with them, I think that they did a very good job in explaining their side. But one of the things that I think, and I think this is a general problem with everybody right now, is that they know their content. They know what they believe. But I truly believe for making long lasting positive change that benefits everyone, we need to understand both sides of the story. So I was always taught guns are bad, love people, drugs are good, but as long as they're not, you know, heroin or crack. Like it was, <laughs> it was very specific. Um, and what I'm learning is that like, you know, again, there's a more nuances to that situation. Like guns overall are not great in, you know, daily settings, but I completely, especially being in Louisiana, I understand now why people have guns or like the concept of hunting. And, and she like, I understand, but I think that there needs to be some sort of education that goes along with it, not just hand anybody a gun. Not saying that that's what they do, but just in general to like elaborate. Instead of us just being yes, that's good, or no, that's bad. It's a very binary concept of thinking. And that's the one thing I've learned more than anything this quarantine is that people are like Democrat or Republican. And that's not the case. You can be a Republican that does not necessarily believe in the candidate that they have for president. You can be a Democrat and also disagree with certain policies. Like it's, it's totally okay. And I think being an individual and making an individual choice, not one that's the party line, I think that's sort of the most important thing to learn. So yeah, my parents talked about politics all the time and it was very, they were all very liberal views, which I think was like, personally, I don't think there is right or wrong. I think that as long as the views keep people at the heart of the decision and their best interest, and I'm not talking about the top 1%, I'm talking about the general population, what's best for us as a whole. Mm -hmm. That, like, I at least can respect people's decisions if that is sort of the core of where their decision-making is coming from. That goes exactly to the point because I think that so many people sort of unconsciously pick stuff up. So it's really interesting to have, you have had such a good thought about it. Like, we, we talked a lot about, like, you know, my parents went to protests. They, they did stuff. They were, they were active in their government. They were very pro-integration and, and all that stuff. Um, I remember them making it very clear we don't see color, but again, that doesn't, that's again what I've been learning is that like, no, we do see color. And you have to see that these people are not being treated the same as these people. And that's ultimately what needs to be fixed and, and continued working towards it. It's not, because I think that's probably the biggest problem with American history and the way it's taught, you know, with regards to like basically anything that could be wrong with a person of color ended in the 60s with the end of segregation. And that's not true. And I'm not the person you should be talking to about this. Like I'm just general white chick over here that like, I'm just doing my best to understand and learn. But um, I think that was probably, again, this binary concept of right versus wrong or something being like finished. It's not just done. The, the, it's a continuously rolling mm -hmm. question. So with my parents, I think one of the things that they did teach and I did sort of understand what the concept of drugs they were not necessarily being like, do drugs, do all the drugs. But when there was this, this fight on drugs, and this was like in the 80s and 90s, they kept saying like, well, I mean, yeah, we shouldn't have drug dealers on the street and, and people, you know, like losing houses and homes over this. But 
it's okay. <laughs> and it was sort of, I think that was my first uh, like sort of introduction to realizing that there were, there were nuances and levels. Like that being said, of course, my only way of rebelling against my parents was to like totally never do drugs and like straight A student. My core values sort of like, they always lean towards benefiting like people as a whole. Like I believe in love and happiness and sunshine and rainbows. But like, I'm sort of like, fairly conservative when it comes to like the way I dress <laughs> and like with regards to like you know I don't drink too much because if I have like more than two cocktails I'll fall asleep and like <laughs> and, and at the same time I think that's also important to know is that like I am a burlesque dancer that regularly takes off her clothes as a vocation yet I am also a completely you know stable sane citizen that contributes to society. I'm a homeowner. I, I'm a landlord. I have a second property. Like I've worked really hard and I'm self-taught and, and I would like to believe I'm part of this American dream, which is why I'm stepping up. And, and this is also jumping ahead. I've always sort of tried to model myself after Dolly Parton with regards to love everyone, you know, believe in the good and be you, but like, don't hurt others, especially not actively. And and she takes a stance where she doesn't have a political comment because she doesn't want to alienate anybody anybody on either side. And I truly feel that way. And I felt that way up until last summer. And last summer, Edwards uh, had passed that bill, basically ruling abortions illegal in all cases. They were, and again, this goes back to having that binary thinking and not realizing that there's a whole bunch of nuances in life. And it, the thing that really upset me about that is that you could not get an abortion if you were raped, if you were a child under 14, and if it was incest. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I just kept thinking about a child that's being abused by a family member and being forced to endure a nine month pregnancy and the labor. And like, to me, that seemed unkind and it didn't seem right. And that's what sort of made me, my ears sort of perk up and be like, huh, this is sort of funky. And then with everything going on, and the funny thing is, is I don't consider myself political. I consider myself a patriot. And what I mean by that is that I consider, I believe in the American dream. And I believe that America is a place where if you want it bad enough, you can work and you can become anything you want to be. And that and I believe it because that's what my, my grandparents did. Like we, my great grandparents immigrated from Europe at the end of World War I before World War II. And they were Jews that were like basically fleeing, you know, Nazi Germany on the wind starting up. And so mm -hmm. I saw that and I experienced that. And I saw that they were able to make a better life. So with that in mind and, and that history, that's the reason I'm standing up because when the American dream is being compromised or threatened or rights that people literally fought and died for because they, they truly are good people. That's when I start to like, be like, Hey, y'all see this. <laughs> and to me, that's not being political to me. That's being patriotic. So it's weird. There's a lot of like mostly female dominated careers, even like waitressing and like bartending, like the way that AOC is getting a lot of like, you know, sort of like sneers because she hustles for tips. She said something that I thought was very interesting because like, again, I've always worked service industry and that, that includes entertainment. When people mm -hmm. say service industry, it's not limited to bartenders and waiters. And wait, like, I've literally worked as an entertainer. I've worked um, in like childcare. Like I have always provided a service 
for somebody. I, I worked retail for like three weeks, couldn't do it. <laughs> I, and I have been a bartender and I have been a, a server. And she said that it's really interesting because people say it like it's a bad thing, but you are literally elected to serve, like to serve your public. Right. And when people are behaving like they're better than or a dictatorship or a ruler, like that I think speaks clearly to where they're completely missing the point. They right. are elected to serve us. It's not like we just randomly went into a government and was like, who happens to be serving us the hamburger? It's like, no, sir, we want you and we want you to serve it up this way on this and this and this and this. And you don't just bring them whatever you got. You bring them what they asked for. What a lot of people don't know about me, too, is that like most people know I was a ballerina turned burlesque dancer. And in between, I uh, became a Pilates instructor and yada, yada, yada. But a lot of people don't know that I <laughs> like I worked in childcare. In high school, I taught ballet. I was always an assistant teacher with ballet, you know, up into my early 20s. Like I, when I was going through school too, like I worked at a community center and I taught preschool athletics and sports and gymnastics. And like, I babysat ever since I was 12, I think, which is, I personally think too young to babysit, but whatever, like I, I did it. Like I love kids. But one of the things I like about kids is that they're honest. And when they do something wrong, you can check them and you make them better humans. And so I think that's really funny when I see people behaving badly, I just immediately go back to like my preschool days. And I was like, everything you're saying is what a four-year-old would say, at which point we would put you in the timeout corner and you would sit and you would think about why did you say that? And was it me? And then you would hopefully come to the realization that what you said was not kind and perhaps you should apologize and go back to playing with the group. And unfortunately, we don't have a check-in, like we have prison, which yeah. is a timeout system. It doesn't work out well. But I mean, like, watch Super Nanny. It's the same, like, honestly, it works for it works for babies, it works for toddlers, it works for tweens, it works for angry teenagers, and it works for adults too. The problem is, is enforcing it with adults. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, I don't understand how you can be a patriot. Like, I don't understand how you can believe in supporting a country and supporting your country and not be for the United States Postal Service. Because to me, that is just so disrespectful to all the veterans that are beneficiaries from that service. Because a lot of them get their, you know, medication, whatever, through that system. It's Employment, too. Yeah, it's disrespectful to small businesses that use that. Um, and it's, it's genuinely disrespectful to all the men and women that fought for our country for us to have this privilege of having the United States Postal Service. And I think it's funny that people support different aspects of the military, but would not support the United States Postal Service. Cause to me, like they are in the same realm. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand how you could be pro America and anti you United States Postal Service. Like, yeah, I genuinely don't understand it. I reached out to you when I saw the, uh, the video that you made um, in favor of the Postal Service, and then you sent me a video about another one that you made. Um, what was your thinking when you, when you made the first video? Which one was first? Actually, my grandpa's one was first. So again, I don't feel like I'm being political. I feel like I'm being patriotic, and I feel like I'm being an American citizen that is, again, like go back to my <laughs> teaching primary kids. Like It goes back to when I see something wrong, I'm like, hey, do we all see this or am I just the only one? My grandfather worked for the post office. I never thought really anything of it. It was never really that big a deal. It was just like, that's, he worked for the postal service. 
What was a big deal is he was a veteran, a World War II veteran, and he stormed uh, the beaches of Normandy. He literally fought Nazis. He fought for his country, came back to America, and built the American dream. This is a man who started with very little. My grandparents, they grew up like in trailers and duplexes until they were able to buy their own home. And like when they retired, they had this beautiful two-story, like they are the American dream. They came from nothing. And to me, it, that was always sort of the thing I was really proud of. I was like, my grandfather fought for our country and like he literally freed people from Nazis. Like that's awesome especially for like a Jewish American man, like that's a big deal. And when I saw this attack on the USPS, I know it wasn't personal. <laughs> like I am, I'm aware that nobody is personally attacking me, but it felt very personal and it felt very insulting and very disrespectful. And initially I wanted to make my grandfather's video for my family because I was like, if I feel this, and I'm his granddaughter, like, you know, wait up. I can only imagine how my dad feels, how my uncle feels, you know, how everybody who did fight in World War II, like, feels, let alone everybody who works in the post office. Uh, so I did this video that was more just about, I just wanted to humanize a person that worked in the Postal Service for 35 years and what they did for this country and how disrespectful this attack was on the post office. Um, that video, of course, did not have boobs in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, since I haven't been able to perform burlesque or do stage shows, I've started doing comedy videos, a lot of comedy content, including a bunch of fake talk shows. In, like I have Tough Time with Trixie, which is a, a show where I interview people. I have a news parody show called 2020 What the Fuck. And, uh, <laughs> and originally I was like, well, nobody seems to be paying attention to this little video of my grandpa, so I'm going to make one with boobs. And <laughs> so the content is essentially the same, but the, the visual is completely different. It's not meant to be liberal. Um, it's definitely clearly not conservative, but it's like, it's not about party lines. It's about if you are an American citizen and you believe in supporting veterans and you believe in the American dream, and you believe in voting and access to voting because you're an American and you're a citizen and you can prove it and you pay taxes through the mail, by the way, like, oh, it just riles me up because it's like, I was like, I have to make a video because nobody's paying attention to my grandpa video. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it's great because you're wearing almost like a, um, a Wonder Woman <laughs> Uncle Sam costume. What was that? <laughs> Sexy Paul Revere. <laughs> Sexy Paul Revere. <laughs> but it's, I love the, like, the, the wings portion with, like, the stars on it, you know, like, when you lift your arms up, and then you do, like, the Wonder Woman pose, I think, a couple of times. It's awesome, and you're like, be patriotic. It's <gasps> phenomenal. And then you are, and then you also demonstrate part of our, our jobs as citizens in calling our representatives and telling them what we want, and I think that that's a really beautiful part of the video as well. Well, again, like I tried to add some humor because um, that's again, like I don't, I didn't do this up until recently. And I think that that's part of our fault as citizens and what should be taught in school and, and it, you know, just in families is that like, if you see something you don't like, don't write about it on Facebook, like write your representatives because they are paid by you to represent us. So the email process was extremely annoying and did not make for good video, but the calling process 
is less annoying because it basically just takes you straight to a machine and um, you can leave your comment. Senator John Kennedy and Senator Bill Cassidy are sort of my new boyfriends. Like I call them all the time. <laughs> and they, they write me back and, and much like bad boyfriends, they miss the point entirely. <laughs> Like, they're like, yeah, babe, I, I hear you. I hear you. But, you know, I'm really thinking that voter fraud is a big deal. So I think we should destroy the post office. It's like, baby, 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 <laughs> the point, sweetheart. I just feel like I have to keep saying this just to make it clear for anybody that's listening at any point in time in your podcast. This is not Republican versus Democrat. This is not liberal versus conservative. This is the problem we're in. You have to be able to see the whole picture and make the choice that works for you. And so... Yes, I disagree with both Senator John Kennedy and Senator Bill Cassidy. And I think that I also think they shouldn't be on vacation. <laughs> oh my God. So I did some research. They make $174,000 a year and get a month long vacation and get dental. Like, I mean, come on. I understand you deserve a month long vacation. You're dealing with a lot of BS. I get that. However, during an international pandemic where there haven't been this many American citizens unemployed since the depression <laughs> and a looming eviction crisis, let alone two hurricanes in the Gulf. Like, go back to work, babe. <laughs> like, you can take your vacation days later. Like, come on. Come we on. need you at the wheel. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Bad boyfriends, bad boyfriends. We'll all we'll all go do our jobs. No vacation for any of us. <laughs> go back to DC. We're still working on being citizens right now. So <laughs> no, it's so funny because almost every single person I interview lately is like, you know, especially if they have any background where performance background, like they have a lot to say. They have a lot of amazing stories. Um, and then they've all been apologizing for having so much to say. And I'm just like, no, like you're a wealth. You're you're a wealth. You're a national treasure. <laughs> Man, if, if we can do anything to just get people to step up, myself included, like I'm, I'm working on it myself, but just stepping up to be more aware of what's happening. Because I think that's sort of how it got so bad is that we were so busy focusing on our lives. And, and that's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run a business. I like, I'm in the, I renovated my own house. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live my own American dream, but it doesn't help if we let things slide and we don't hold people accountable specifically when we are paying them uh, mm -hmm. to do their job and represent us you know what let's say everything is fixed by the right candidate getting voted in in november and then i'm satisfied because like the wrong person is no longer president i can't ever let myself get back to where i was where i didn't engage you know i, I didn't have civic engagement in my life on a regular basis where i hadn't called my rep representatives on a regular basis i hadn't done x i hadn't done y you know i didn't i didn't understand what the propositions would be that were going to be on my next ballot or anything about the candidates and their histories and I've done all of this research and all of this conversation in the last four years. And that's probably the biggest gift of the last four years is this political engagement that we've had, this civic engagement that we've, we've developed. And I don't ever want to lose it again. So that's, that's this podcast. I love that. I love that. Um, that's really cool. I, it's funny whenever people are having relationship troubles, whether it's at work or, you know, personal, I'm like, y'all need a common enemy. Cause like when we got my dog, <laughs> who is my baby, who I love, who's sitting in the corner, he decided not to participate. I love him with all my heart, but all of a sudden, if something didn't get done, there was a common enemy. Like if the trash didn't get taken out, it's clearly his fault. If you know, a bill didn't get mailed, 
clearly his fault. Having a common enemy unites us so much. And um, not that I want uh, somebody to threaten our American dream, but um, it at least makes it very clear <laughs> who believes in it and who doesn't. And, and I also think it's important to not shame people who maybe are changing their decisions. Like, I know a lot of people who voted for Trump four years ago who aren't voting for Trump right now. And I talked to them because I'm trying to understand why. And a lot of people were like, I genuinely thought he was going to make a difference. Yet I didn't see a difference. So that's why I'm changing my vote. So it's like I can at least understand and respect. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's important is not to jump and attack people, but to open them, you know, with an open heart, open mind and, and see, because everybody does have a different perspective mm -hmm. and we won't get better unless we understand where it is coming from. I think I have made the mistake of jumping all over people and being like, how could you do that? Like, but I'm working on not doing that. And my podcast partner is very much like he, he likes to read, he likes to see the full story. He likes to read what the other side is saying, you know, and, and likes to make up his own mind. And I can definitely really respect that and, and appreciate that. So part of me is like, well, then you have to be more willing to do that in your own life if you respect it and appreciate it. You know, I think most of the people that I know are going to be like, mostly very, very liberal. And I want to get outside of my bubble a little bit and like maybe bring on some people that I can respectfully engage with as well. So <laughs> it'll be interesting finding them. I think that's good though, because like, I think otherwise you end up in an echo chamber. And that's what I think the problem was with the, with the election four years ago is everybody got cocky. And then again, they made choices. The choices weren't representing the people. Because again, like people vote for presidents. They don't vote for city council or you know governor like and that's the problem is that you have to vote every step of the way because these people it's building blocks so what many of you might not realize is that trixie makes was actually one of my very first interviews right as we were getting started for the podcast and just to give you a little glimpse of what she's doing now here's some shameless plugs so Minx Burlesque NOLA is a live show that is streamed through Stage IT every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central. Tickets are $10 and the money goes directly to the performers into keeping DBA around. I don't know if you guys have seen, but a lot of our local um, performance venues are, are being forced to close because of COVID-19. So some of them are getting inventive with virtual programming and it looks like DBA is one of those. So you guys can actually attend a um, burlesque show at DBA virtually in order to support the local performers and DBA. We'll put those the ticket links in the show notes so you guys can attend that. And then also Minx Burlesque Atlanta is a dinner burlesque show in Atlanta on October 24th and 31st at the Tabernacle. The socially distant entertainment experience is, again, directly allowing performers to get back on stage and work because of the people that support it. We'll put those links in the show notes so that you can attend and support. Thank you. Googled um, facts about the post office and, and keep in mind this is on USPS's website. So, I mean, you know, it's not independently vetted as far as I know, but according to their own sites, facts about the post office, 40% of the workforce for the post office are minorities. And I think that's that goes towards what you were saying about it was known to be a good job. And because they're associated with the federal government, it was a way of getting, um, minority workers into the work into good jobs with benefits and pensions because you know there was even though discrimination wasn't legal people still did it 
people still do it. You know, they'll potentially not call someone back for an, um, an interview if they perceive their name or their voice to be like non-white. So it's a way of making sure people have an effective avenue towards good employment, or at least it used to be, although it's been steadily sort of undermined. Every two weeks, the Postal Service pays $2 billion in salaries and benefits. So I think a lot of people would look at that and be like, whoa, $2 billion in salary and benefits, that's costing the American people. But the people they're paying are Americans. Mm-hmm. And their salaries are being invested probably in their communities, right? To buy food, to pay for rent, childcare, you know, all of the stuff. Yeah. If you take that out, like that's $2 billion and then like put it just in a private company, then they, then they can just go ahead and decide whatever they're going to pay their employees. They're probably not going to pay them the good rates that the postal service has traditionally paid. There was something else, another fact that I was going to read. They have seven unions that um, represent their 500,000 employees. If I'm understanding this correctly, and I did see this come up when like everyone started talking about the Postal Service like a couple of months ago, it feels like forever ago, like people aren't talking about the Postal Service as much as they were because of everything else that have happened. But the Postal Service has collective bargaining agreements with seven different unions representing nearly 500,000 employees, right? So they work with union labor which is not true for a lot of employers in the United States. So I thought I would just share those fun facts that I found on USPS's website. And uh, if you want an even funner facts, in 2019, thousands of people went online to USPSOperationSanta.com, read and adopted more than 12,000 letters to help families and children have a happy holiday when they otherwise might not have. So they still receive letters to Santa. That's cool. For 107 years, postal employees, charities, and individual and corporate volunteers have helped spread the magic of the holiday season to families in need by answering and adopting letters mailed to Santa. Yeah. And also, I think stamps are cool. I'm kind of a nerd that way. (laughs) The stamps are cool. Yeah. Our episode this week, and all weeks, is brought to you by our patrons. And our Patreon link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Civics, y'all. Remember to subscribe and give us a rating. <laughs> you don't you sound so ridiculous. That's not you at all. <laughs>